Ruth Cho Simons is a Wall Street Journal best-selling and award-winning author of several books, including Grace Laced, Beholding and Becoming, and When Striving Cease. She's also an artist, an entrepreneur, and a speaker, using each of these platforms to spiritually sow the Word of God into people's hearts. Ruth, thanks so much for joining us. So good to be here. We're, so we're, we're in full-blown Christmas mode here, and, and I'm so glad uh, that you're going to be uh, inspiring us and, and sharing insights with us about the subject of Advent. Mm. Um, before we get into all of that, for those who uh, aren't familiar with Grace Laced, can you just give a little of your backstory and, yeah. and how did Grace Laced come to be? Well, I have always been an artist, but never thought that I could marry art and um, the Word of God and somehow use it to bring Him glory. And um, I was a young pastor's wife and a mama to six boys years ago. And mm -hmm. um, in that season, you know, as a young mama, I thought, oh, the ship has passed me by. I'm never going to be able to do anything with these giftings that I have. But in the quiet moments of, like, you know, nap times, I just dabble a little bit. And, you know, the long and the short of it, Kirk, is that God somehow used that and allowed me to share little bits of mm -hmm. devotional material and artwork. And years later, that became a full-blown ministry and business where I get to share my artwork and products and resources around the world. And so that gracelace.com is a place where I get to share that, that artwork um, in the form of journals and stationery and um, and wall art as well with scripture. And, and the art that you make is Beautiful. Thank you. And uh, so many people are inspired not only by the words that you write, but the pictures that, mm. that uh, are paired with them. Did you ever think that your work in fine art would or could turn into a ministry? You know, I really didn't because I think for so long, I think as an artist, sometimes you think you're trying to look within yourself and try to like figure out who you are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when you're thinking that way, it's all about self. But it wasn't until I started realizing, oh my, all my gifts are for the Lord. Yeah. But that shifted for me and it became something that, um, I, I like to think about how John the Baptist was like, look over there, this is behold the Lamb of God, right? And I feel like I'm kind of that girl with the paintbrush going, okay, it's not about the artwork, like the artwork points to something greater, hmm. the creator God who made all the, these things that I'm trying to like image through my artwork. And so it takes the pressure off. You know, at this point I'm like, okay, I realize that all these giftings, the ability to paint something and the ability to write something, it actually wasn't always, it's, it was never about me. And so, um, so now it's really a gift and it's fun to be able to share it with the world. That's cool to hear you say that because uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm not an artist like, like you are. I'm not a poet uh, like my daughter, but I, I often hear artists talking about their need to express mm -hmm. and that's an outlet for them to yeah. express their thoughts, their feelings, all of these things. Uh, so I don't know, do you, think, do you think that there is a right motivation for producing and creating art? Is it legitimate to say, this is just my expression of me, this is my outlet, or should it be something like John the Baptist is like, hey, look over there. Hey, my artwork is pointing to something other than me and my feelings and my perspective. Well, the truth is we were, we were, we're called image bearers, right? We are made to image God, our creator. And so like in our very most, um, God's made us so that we would reflect him. So at the end of the day, I think, we have feelings and insights and perspectives that God does want us to um, image and be able to share and, and express to the world. There's nothing wrong with that, but I think it just gets really self-focused when everything we create becomes about us getting further. So there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with sharing our feelings, right, in our perspective, yeah. but um, it's such a joy to be able to give the perspective of God through our work. So what do you think your study and your creation of 
art has taught you about the great artist, the one oh, who paints with light and water. Yeah. Well, Kirk, sky. you live by the ocean. I live um, in the mountains, and we both have access to sunrises and sunsets. And every single day, I'm wowed that God didn't have to bring the day into order with all these colors. I mean, when you see the pinks and the reds and the oranges come into the sky, and then at night when you see the sunset, I think every day, no matter how great of an artist I could become, mm -hmm. I will never be as creative as God, right? And so I think he He speaks to us and um, pursues us in his word, but ultimately he also wants us to look up and see that he's always been the one who held everything together in creation. And it's pretty impactful when you wake up every day and realize, I'm not the one who did this. I have nothing to do with the sunrise, you know? Yeah. And, and you like to watercolor. And when I look yeah. up into the sky uh, in a rainy day and I see a rainbow in the sky yeah. and a beautiful sunset into the Pacific Ocean uh, at the beach, he's, there's, I mean, it's not watercolors, but he is painting with water in the sky in the form of clouds, and sure. it's all coming together in the form of a rainbow, and you just go, this is unbelievable. For sure. But his artwork, um, which is what we are, he says in yeah. the scriptures that we are his handiwork, we're his pieces of art. He makes art that creates art. Yes. Like you, who then well, pairs it with devotionals and inspires us during Advent season. And you mentioned poetry earlier, but you know the root word for um, we are his masterpiece, that is poema. Yeah. It's for the, the root word for poetry and that we are his works of art. And I think when we stop there and just let that sink in, we realize that it was with intention that he created us. Mm. With your giftings, my giftings, we're all unique, uniquely capable of being the ones who create the art that bring glory to him. I love that. And, and I love that our conversation is pointing out that um, because God is a creator and he is creative, he is an artist and we are poetry that yeah. are living and yes. breathing and uh, that brings great significance to those who are artists and want to express yeah. the gifts and talents artistically. Sometimes people think within the church that real ministry is about being a missionary. It's about right. being a pastor. Right. It's about Bible studies, but maybe it's about watercoloring. Maybe it's about... All things can be used to bring glory to him and to ultimately declare the wonder and the, the good news of the gospel. It really can be. And I think we need to remember that we live in a world where you only see things on social media that seem like they're arriving points, right? They're the highlight reel. They're the mm. moments in which there's success. But we can use all our giftings, whether that's um, creating a beautiful meal or creating a warm place at home. Um, hospitality is an art as well, right? And we that's can right. all do that every single day of our lives. That's right. I, I love that. God doesn't just create books of systematic theology. He creates right? entire worlds. Yes, and we get to be living theology in other people's lives. Yeah, so with six kids, six boys, yes, and a husband and a whole life, uh, how do you possibly balance yeah. writing, painting, parenting? Well, I always love to say, you know, God can call you to lots of things, but maybe not all at the same time. And so there was a different season, Kirk, where I didn't do all the things that I'm doing now. And um, currently in this season, I have a lot of help. And so there's no such thing as like balance, right? It's not that I'm doing all home-cooked meals and I'm doing all the laundry. You know, here's the key. You really raise boys that do their own laundry and do their do a lot of cooking. So um, I'm pretty grateful that these are the days where um, they're older now and I get to get to lead Grace Laced and write the books, but it wasn't always this way. And so I really do try to, you know, it's that 
old um, illustration of putting big rocks in first. Yeah. And so really thinking through what the priorities are. And there are things that can't, I can't be replicated. I am only, they're only mom. And so those things go first. And then um, just do the things that God's really called me to. Amen. And say no to a lot of other things. How, how would you encourage a young artist who's, mm. who um, maybe like my daughter, who she loves to paint, she loves to write poetry. Um, but many are wondering, is this just gonna be a creative outlet for me yeah. while I'm waiting tables at a restaurant? Yeah. Is this a side hustle or could this be my full-time gig? Yeah, well, I, I think the thing that we have to realize is our very best work comes out of the overflow of our hearts. So you can try real hard to produce the most amazing thing in the world, but you can burn out trying so hard. Mm. And so I think a lot, um, I would say to a young, young person trying to use their creative skills. One, um, use that skill right where you are. Don't try to f believe that it's only going to be effective if you have a million followers on YouTube, for example, right? right. That start where you are. Look at the people around you. Start gifting that artwork. Start performing that artwork. Start creating and um, serving those who are right in front of you. But then also spend a lot of time talking to the Lord about how this season is not wasted. Just because you're not... Um, getting a big paycheck for the work that you do doesn't mean that God's not using this very season to create and cause you to be the person that mm. you must be yeah. for him to bring in another season. You love the word grace. And in fact, it's, it's in the name of your ministry, Grace yeah. Laced. Uh, what's God taught you about grace that's put it at the, the center of your focus? Well, the long and the short of it is I spent a lot of time hustling, Kirk. I spent a lot of time in my life thinking that I was a summation of my performance or I had to mm. earn favor. And I think some of that was cultural too, thinking that somehow I needed to gain and achieve for myself something that I didn't quite trust God for. And so I spent a lot of my life trying to um, hustle my way or a gain approval to feel like I had worth. And so the grace of God cuts through all that when you realize, um, really it was in Matthew 5, ultimately in the Sermon on the Mount, where I realized I'm never going to be um, good enough or um, holy enough or wise enough. Mm. I need the grace of God because I cannot earn my way into God's presence. And so grace transformed my life when I realized that He literally came, and we're talking about this very thing, that he came so that we might not have to hustle and earn our way back to him. As you can tell, we're, we're in full-blown Christmas mode here now. My favorite time of the year. I love everything about Christmas. I love the tree, the decorations, the, the, the pie, the, the turkey, yep. the songs, Bing Crosby. Everybody's a little nicer, a little kinder, a little more generous. <laughs> um, what was it like for you growing up? How did you celebrate Christmas? Well, so to be honest, um, I'm an immigrant. I was born in Taiwan, came to the United States when I was four, didn't even speak English until I was like six or seven. And my family, we weren't believers. We weren't Americans at the time didn't know much about Christmas. And so I didn't grow up with a lot of traditions. I didn't have grandparents that always cooked the same meal every Christmas. And so, Kirk, I had to spend a lot of time looking around going, what does this mean? And so you can imagine early years were, th were about stuff. Like before I was a believer, it was really just like, oh, I think Target says I'm supposed to buy these things now, you know? Right, right. Um, and so I don't have really strong recollections of celebrating beyond being really curious, what is this all about? And it wasn't until I really, I became a follower of Christ, um, eighth grade, ninth grade time of my life that I finally realized, oh, this is about this Jesus. And mm. that made all the difference. And so now 
with, uh, with six boys uh, living in the mountains, uh, the Rocky yeah. Mountains of Colorado. Uh, what are some of your favorite Christmas traditions at your house? Yeah, well, you know, we um, usually have snow, so I know it's like we really do have a white Christmas. Um, and I'm living with a bunch of boys who don't actually care that much about decor. So listen, Kirk, I mean, right. <laughs> I, I would love everything to look pristine and beautiful, and they're just really like can we just all get along? And, you know, and yeah. so, I mean... And what's for dinner? Yes, absolutely. Just make sure you're cooking something really good. Um, you know, our traditions really have to do with a lot of, with hosting. We spend a lot of time having people over, and that is, a, it's really um, one of our favorite things is to share our home. We do it all year round, but during the Christmas season, we're really intentional about making sure that our home is open all the time for people to come. Um, but also, there's just a really strong emphasis on lingering long at the dinner table. Mm. Um, you know, I think we always intend to have devotional times and times where we gather and talk. But I would say our biggest Advent tradition really is that we linger long and have daily conversations through the month of December. Ruth, you've written a resource that we're going to be talking about in our next segment. But first, uh, let's make sure that we have an understanding of what Advent actually is. Can you define that for us? Yeah. Well, I think for those who have understood Advent within the liturgical, the church calendar, yeah. it's the Sundays leading up to Christmas. Okay. And um, for so many of us at home, it really is just a season where maybe you pick up this calendar and you think, am I supposed to open right. something up every day? And it's a piece of chocolate. And we chocolate don't, and we don't even realize that it's about waiting and anticipation. It's about actually getting our hearts prepared for what we're actually celebrating. Because, you know, usually you're just opening up a little present every day. So I think it's, it's I, I love the idea of us remembering and bringing back the realization that it's about waiting and anticipation and actually treasuring the true gift of Christmas, Christ. And sometimes we've missed that in the hustle and bustle of Christmas. Totally. And you just made me think that that, that is really... Um a callback to the people of God waiting for so long for the Messiah to come. Absolutely. It was waiting. It was all about waiting. Yes. When is he coming? Yes. When is he coming? Yes. And finally he comes. Yes. And not as they expected, right? right? I mean, some really knew that this he was the Messiah, but there were so many that were thinking that they were waiting for a political ruler, somebody that would just free them so they wouldn't suffer anymore. Nobody, they did not have they didn't realize that what they really needed and what they truly longed for was a Messiah that would actually bring true peace and yeah. greater than any kind of political peace that they could ever have. I love that. I love this idea of Advent being this time of waiting. And the Advent calendar as a kid often felt like, well, I don't know, this was just a, a, a cute little trick that they came up with, a little something that passes like the time Christmas. It was like, like a countdown, right? It was like a countdown. It's like a countdown to Christmas. <laughs> what do we do? I don't know, let's open up some little doors and have some chocolate until right, the real right. gifts show up. Yeah. And that's really how it's always been for the people of God. The Old Testament and the law and the prophets was not just a way to pass the time till, like, why didn't Jesus get here? It was actually preparation and it was actually needed so yeah. that when he comes, it's like, oh, this is everything I need. This yes. is, I'm aware now of my need, and this is the gift that fixes my problem. Well, and let's think about it this way. Nobody opens up a little Advent chocolate and says, that truly satisfies. That's everything I've ever wanted. I don't need a Christmas gift now. It's kind of right, like Mom. just a little bit of a teaser. It's like, hmm, that's fun, but where's the, what, what do I really, really am hoping for? Yeah. And so in the same way, I think God gave us all of history to realize like, 
we could make sacrifice, you know, the priests could make sacrifices. There could be lots of ways in which the people of God tried to honor God, but nothing was ever going to truly satisfy. Nothing was ever going to secure their place with God. And so it wasn't until Jesus came and Jesus died the death that was meant for us and resurrected and was our savior. It wasn't until then that we were, were ultimately able to say, now this truly satisfies. I don't, I don't need to be like tasting of tiny little bits anymore. Yeah. So, so what does the Advent season look like in your house now? You said yeah. growing up, uh, yeah. your understanding of Christmas was more about what do I yeah. buy from Target. Yeah. But what's it like now as you move past Thanksgiving yeah. into this this time? So I don't know about you, but when the calendar turns to November, November 1, usually I start getting a little anxious. And so now that we're in full-blown Christmas, there are times when you're just your body just says, like, oh, I'm supposed to be doing all this. And are we not living our best life if we're not lighting all the candles. And, you know, I've had to learn, Kirk, to like stop and say, is this really about lighting the candles or having all the mood set perfectly? Or is this about making sure that each person in my family, that I personally am remembering day by day why we're, why Christ came the first time and fulfilled what I was really longing for and how I can anticipate his second coming. The, that, that, the very key thought has transformed my Christmas because I'll just be honest, I don't think we have, you know, this Norman Rockwell Christmas. We are not like always sitting around singing hymns and joyfully lighting candles every night. There's a lot of stress. And being people in retail, I mean, there's a lot of stress in December. And so just for anyone watching saying, you know, my Christmas doesn't look like that set that they're sitting at, you know, it doesn't look beautiful and lit and we're going through a heartache. I think we can really encourage one another and remember that all the stuff and all the quote magic of Christmas mm -hmm. that can come and go but Christ stays with us forever and that's what we need to remember during the Christmas season yeah because I think of Christmas and it's like okay there is a countdown clock it's like for go Christmas. time you know it's so go time <laughs> and it's so you're so busy and so much is left to the last minute and at there's least like at, FOMO right there's like all this fear of missing out kind of constantly measuring whether you're doing it right and whether everybody's going to have the best Christmas ever and sometimes so much in the middle of all that we actually miss the real joy of Christmas and we get to December 26 and there's like this crash and we go why does it feel like now I've got to wait a whole year before I can have that joy and peace again? And I'm just so done with that, Kirk. I'm so done yeah. with that feeling, and yeah. I don't want to have that crash anymore. What are some things that you think that we can do to really get into the Advent spirit, the right spirit of yeah. Christmas, so that we're moving through the month of December, uh, not 100 miles an hour, hair on fire, but yeah. adjusting our schedules and our attitudes to really enjoy this time yeah, well, I mean, the three that come, the three really practical things that come to my mind, turn off my phone, like to really limit how much time I spend mm -hmm. on my phone, to make um, the invitation to linger long at the table. And I'm not just saying that to be pretty and like that's not just a f fuzzy, warm, fuzzy idea, but to actually say, hey, we're going to stay a little longer at the dinner table and talk. Um, but then thirdly, it really does make a difference, you know, we overflow what's being filled up, what we're being filled up with. And so more than just being in the word, yes, be in the word, but listen to the word, like let listen to hymns sung. Like during the Christmas season, you can walk into any store and there's going to be a nice rotation of really fun, you know, Christmas music. But when we really stop and listen to hymns that speak mm. to 
the redemption story, that's a way for us to have it play through our mind, soundtrack in the back of our minds when we're feeling stressed, when we're in Carline forever. Um, those words will linger. Do, do you think it's um, harder for us in our, in our time uh, with a culture that is just so busy, so filled with schedules, so much uh, centered around phones and appointments and, and all of that, to understand what it means to be reflective, oh, to yeah. meditate on the Christmas story is... Because it's not an instant, it's not instant gratification. You don't feel instantly like I've gotten further ahead. It's not as satisfying as checking things off our list, right? But um, it's so interesting how well, there are stories playing in our minds constantly. And um, I think I say even in the book, the stories we tell ourselves about what we're trying to receive mm -hmm. out of the Christmas season will actually affect how we walk into it. So if you're constantly playing the narration in your mind, this is the Christmas that I got to prove that I'm a good mom. This is the season in which I'm going to know whether my husband actually loves me or not and reads my mind and gets me the right present, or I feel this guilt, so I need to make sure this is really great for everybody, or I need peace in my family. If all that pressure is on you, if that's the story you're telling about what you need to accomplish in the Christmas season, then the Christmas season will become all about you and you controlling everything mm -hmm. versus what has Christ already done and given so that you can receive the season, not try to produce in the season. And that's mm -hmm. a major mind shift, but I have to kind of retell myself what is the actual story of the season. People are listening to us right now, and I'm sure they're thinking, this is great. I want to make this the best Christmas ever. I want to just receive yeah. the spirit of Christmas. I want to focus on, on, on Advent and what it's all about. Um, what are some Advent takeover tips that you could give to us? Like, if it's not the Advent calendar, um, one is I can put my phone away yeah. as much as I can. What, what are some That's other hard, great right? things that could help me focus? Well, I, one of the things that I love to do is to look at my calendar and actually mark days that there's nothing going on and say, the thing that's going on is nothing. I know that sounds so silly, but yeah. to actually plan to have nothing going on. And I think we kind of fill up our calendars and think, oh, I can plot that one thing back in when there's um, nothing on the calendar. But we, if you mark days off, days where you just say, this is a day where we're gonna have nothing going on, it's not free, it's that we're actually going to choose to spend some time slowing down. Yeah. And I think when you're intentional about putting that on your calendar, putting nothing on your calendar, yeah. it actually makes such a huge difference. And so that's one of the major takeaways for myself is that I, I have to put it on the calendar. I have to put on the calendar to do nothing, you know? Um, and, exactly. and that's really important. And I think even on a daily schedule basis, yes, we're all connected to our phones. We run so much of our lives through our phones. But I think when you can choose and say, okay, this is kind of where I've got to carve out time to be yep. with my family. Yep. Let's maximize on this time where everybody's wondering, how, how did I spend my year? Did I steward it well? What's going on in my heart? Where are the ways in which I feel sadness and lacking and I'm wanting to have more purpose in my life? This is the time of year that people are already feeling those things. Let's take advantage of that and put away things that separate us and spend more time with people. In just a little bit, I want us to talk more about your book, Emmanuel. Um, one of the things I love about this book is that every day ends with a specific question to ponder, a song for praise, and a short prayer with the song being a Christmas hymn. Um, how, did, how were you able to, to pair those songs and those prayers and those praises? Yeah, well, hymns are a big part of my life, and I really believe that, um, you know, when... Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then, you know, 
encourage one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Basically, that means we we all need multiple ways of reminders. And when we sing hymns that echo the truths in scripture, that's a great way for us to remember. So those hymns were paired so that they're not just, it's not just Hark the Herald Angels Sing, but that it's a hymn that actually echoes the very things and the very truths of the Christmas story and the gospel in our lives. Yeah, I love the hymns at Christmas time yeah. and I love playing them, especially the verses that no one sings. <laughs> Right, the first, the first stanza yeah. and like the last, everyone knows. Yeah. But the, it's usually the second or the third that just just comes in with the. And hymn know. writers were always so good to make it didactic. Like they taught with the hymns. You know, it wasn't just a feeling. It was that through the hymns, those lyrics actually impress upon our hearts things that we see in scripture, but we quickly forget unless we're humming it. Ruth, uh, you wrote an Advent devotional this year called Emmanuel an invitation to prepare him room at Christmas and always. When we think about uh, preparing him room, uh, we often think about um, wanting to share the gospel with other people and say, you need to prepare room for Christ to come in and live within your heart. But what about us who are already members of the family of faith? Christmas is a story that we've heard for so many years. How do we, in a new way, begin to prepare him room in our hearts? Yeah, I think we don't realize how distracted and how cluttered we can be. And it's not that we prepare him room as in he doesn't dwell with us. No, as Christ followers, he dwells with us and we in him. It's just that so often we haven't prepared him room in that we just have so much that's cluttering our minds and our hearts that we are missing out on the very things that he's impressing through his word and through the gospel that will actually transform us. And we Mm. kind of wonder why we're walking around kind of lacking and limping along, feeling exhausted and going, I don't really have joy, when really it's because we haven't even made room for the very things that he is trying to impress upon us. Yeah. I love that you said in, in your devotional book, When you see an infant lying in a manger this Christmas, don't let your affections remain there. Jesus is more than a baby, more than a beautiful miracle in a harsh world. He's more than a familiar figure sung about in festive tunes. Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel, just as the angel of the Lord told Joseph. What's the significance of the word Emmanuel, God with us? God with us, that's literally one of his names, you know, Emmanuel, God with us, because God literally sent his precious only son yeah. in the form of God, the God-man, born of a woman, so that we would actually get to walk, he would walk the, the paths that we would walk, mm. and then ultimately die the death that we were meant to die, and fulfill the, the promise of Redemption, and when we look at um, when we look at this this name for Jesus of, of all His names, right? Emmanuel, God with us, is mm. the promise that um, the reminder that the very reason why God came is so that we would never have to be away from His presence. We wouldn't have to go get clean ourselves up to come back. That we wouldn't have to bring all sorts of things to be like, look, I'm worthy now. That because of Christ. God is forevermore with us mm. and that we will be in his presence forever in Christ. And I think that that when I stop and think about that, it's it's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling of like, sometimes we look at the manger and we just go, oh, look at, I love Christmas, which yeah. I, I, I love Christmas. Right. We I love, love babies. We love we it. Love. But it's like this warmth of maybe culturally, we just have this warmth attached to the Christmas season, but we miss the part where this baby 
didn't stay a baby. Like Jesus came so that he would live a perfect life and that would he would actually walk physically with the disciples and then ultimately leave his presence with us in through the Holy Spirit forevermore. And I just think if I spend more time thinking on that, mm. then the the manger is not just warm and beautiful. It's powerful and life transforming. And it humbles me in a way that prepares me for Christmas in a way that I wouldn't be otherwise. Ruth, in, in your book, uh, you split the devotional into four categories. Our posture, God's promise, our response, our Messiah. Mm. Talk about why those four categories are important. Those are the four categories I feel like I need every year where I can't even come into the story of Christmas if I'm not kind of prepared in the posture of my heart to receive what mm -hmm. it is. So we start week one really thinking through what is it that we're um, kind of coming burdened? How are we posturing our hearts? And we can talk more about that, but ultimately how you posture your heart will determine how you receive the actual Christmas story. So the promise, God's promise, mm. is really not just, it didn't start at the manger. He, from the beginning of time, had the story that he wanted to write of redeeming his people, pursuing his people, bringing us back to himself, mm. making a way for us to be in his presence, being in fellowship with him forevermore, not because we're great, not because we can achieve it on our own. And so from there, we have a response. Right. And then ultimately, we end the journey remembering that God is who he says he is. And uh, you, you also write this, try as we might, we cannot muster up the feelings we wanna feel at Christmas. We will experience the magnitude of Christmas only to the extent that we understand the grace and mercy of God's plan of redemption. Hmm. That's deep, well, break that down for I'll, us. I'll break that down. I, all I'm saying there is ultimately that you can listen to Christmas carols and you can have the lights strung and you might have this warm, amazing peace come over you, but it fades, Kirk, right? It fades. It's like we can muster those things up and for a minute we're eating our very favorite foods and we have all the people we love gathered around and maybe you do open up these beautiful presents and it's glorious for a little while, but that's not lasting peace. It's not everything that will satisfy. Mm. And so what we're really looking for at Christmas time what we're really longing for really is joy, hope, peace, love, really is belonging, is really knowing that it's gonna all be okay. Like we really do want those things, we just keep thinking that something else is going to satisfy and help us get there. And so that that deep you know, quote that you just read ultimately is just me saying, listen, if you spend time thinking on what it is that Jesus really came to do, then your ability to take in the greatest treasures of Christmas will be will far outlast the twinkling lights and the good meals and the good friends. I want to double click on this category of God's promise to us. Mm. Uh, he makes a promise, uh, and part of that you point out is is about a relationship. Uh, he's a wonderful savior, a merciful God, a coming Messiah, Redeemer, uh, and having a transformed life. Can you just uh, expand on a couple of those? Well, it's the gospel, right? And I think it's, sometimes we're so quick to talk about the gospel at Easter time, and we think, okay, mm. this is about the resurrection and about us um, having a savior, but it's the Christmas story too, that ultimately the Messiah came 
And Jesus was born in a manger to fulfill all the promises that would actually deliver us and actually bring us hope and would actually put an end to the centuries of sacrifices that did not ultimately bring us closer to God. And so that hope actually is not just um, a split second of happiness because Jesus was born. It's the entire arc of we we were never enough. We could never save ourselves. And Jesus came so that we ultimately could hide ourselves in his finished work. Mm. And so when we look at it that way, we can't really even talk about Christmas without talking about God's entire plan of redemption. Mm. And so, yeah, it's to have a relationship with us. It's to redeem us to himself and not just save us, but to transform us and make us like him. That's the promise of the gospel. Well, and I love a, a, a devotional book like this because you could read some of these quotes and share these paintings and devotional ideas uh, with family and with friends. Hey, you know, this is a really beautiful thing that I just read. I got this as a gift and, and, and read it and open up a conversation to talk about the entire redemptive plan of God yeah. at, at Christmas time. Uh, I love this on day 11. You write, if Jesus is the reason for the season, then the resurrection is really the most life-changing event we can celebrate. And that's just what you were talking about. Yeah, we don't have to wait till Easter to be excited about that because it all connects. The story is all one. It's God's plan. And we begin that anticipation, that hope this time of year is actually because we already know how the story ends. We know that Jesus saves and he's victorious. We know that he's a living, resurrected Savior. Because we know how the story ends, we can celebrate and rejoice even now. And I love the last section of of your devotional. It's the the closest part to Christmas, uh, including the reading for the very last day uh, titled Our Messiah. And you're highlighting the fact that Jesus is not just any ordinary man. And you list out some of his his names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. He is the Lord of Lords. I love in the book of Revelation how he is called the ruler of the kings of the earth. Can you break some of those down for us? Wonderful counselor. Yeah. You know, I think we sometimes, at least for me, if you don't understand the character of God, you could unknowingly think that he's some faraway God with his arms crossed waiting for you to get Mm. things right. But that's not who he is. And so we need to go back to the word and say, who does he say he is? He's a wonderful counselor in that he actually counsels our hearts. He is a comforter. He wants, he literally meets us where we are in our brokenness and our sadness and our hurt in our broken world, that he actually is wise and he gives counsel when we don't know what to do. Yeah. He is the Lord of Lords and that you're not the ruler and the master of yourself. He is the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. I yeah. love remembering that we are not our own boss and no matter what this culture or this world tells us, you don't get to be the hero of your own life and you can try but you'll come up short and empty every time. And so the reminder at Christmas is God is who he says he is. And because he fulfills every promise and that he ultimately um, does exactly what he says he will do, that at Christmas, we're not waiting on something that hasn't come. We're we're celebrating the fact that he promised, he did, and he will even come again. And so that hope is what really lights up the room, right? It really is what will bring us the warmth, regardless of your circumstance, because you and I don't know how this Christmas will end. We're full blown in the middle of Christmas, but there are those who are gonna receive a diagnosis before the end of the year, and they 
did not anticipate it. There will be things that happen that we can't expect and we won't, we won't know that our Christmas might be really derailed by something, but it does not have to be derailed in our hearts when we hold fast to the entire redemption story and the mm. fact that he is the Prince of Peace. Peace will not be ruled by our circumstances. It's ruled by him. I love that. And I love that you point out that he's the Lord of Lords and that he's the mighty God. And some of us need this Christmas to know that he's not just about the sweet, uh, tender and mild yeah. baby in the manger, Yes. Um, but that he's also this mighty God. Yes. He is powerful. He is the Lord of Lords, which speaks of his authority. Yes. So a God who is almighty and has yes. all authority, both in heaven and on earth, yeah. is sovereign over our circumstances. And Absolutely. that gives us great hope. Yes, and so that peace and that hope and that comfort that we're looking for at Christmas, my, my plea through this, this devotional is really just take our eyes off of our circumstances. Stop thinking that you're going to find the peace and joy and hope through the presents wrapped under the tree. Those are just gifts. Those mm. are joys. But the hope really comes in the form of the God-man Christ, Emmanuel God with us. Ruth, uh, you titled day one of your devotional from expectations to expectant. Um, this is one of the heart postures that you uh, challenge us with. Can you talk about what that means? Yeah, I feel pretty exposed when I write that first week because they're all the areas in which I struggle with my heart posture. Mm. I, you know, the word posture is so interesting because it's really like the way in which we're carrying ourselves, in which we're carrying our burdens. And um, you can imagine, like, we have to have good posture to be able to do all the things that we're called to do physically, right? But in the Christmas season, having expectations, that is a heart posture where you're coming in already kind of believing that it's going to be really hard. You're going to be disappointed. Um, you're looking for ways in which people are letting you down. And I hate saying that there have been times where I've really struggled with that, thinking, mm. wow, I really had expectations for this night and you all ruined it. Or yeah. uh, how in the world did you not see that this is what I really wanted to happen? I'm not so loved. Whatever it is, like I, I draw that line to I have expectations for how other people will satisfy my needs and make me happy by the actions that they carry out. And that is a heart posture that will leave you bitter and sad and disappointed every single time. Yeah. But the difference is in when you have an expectancy, that is actually anticipation and joy in waiting, knowing that your, your hope is already fulfilled. So the difference is I need something that I don't have yet. Everybody else has to Make sure that I have that, whatever it is, joy, happiness, an actual thing that you really want physically. I don't know. But whatever that thing is that yeah. you think you need to be happy, expectations is everybody's here to make that happen for me. Yeah. But expectancy is, oh, I already have what I really need. And, you, and truly, it's that God's given that to me. I have the true peace or hope or I'm fulfilled and I know who I am. I have my identity in Christ. And so now I can just wait expectantly for every, everybody I celebrate with and all the things that we're doing to come together to be part of joyfully looking to the thing that we already have. Do you see how there's a difference yeah, there? Yeah, totally different. One is keeping our eyes on what we already have and rejoicing and being grateful for it. And the other is looking around going, I'm lacking, I'm lacking, I'm lacking. Right. Everybody help me get there, you know? Yeah, to totally different. And here's some other contrast that we should go from being isolated mm. to invited mm. as, as a posture of our heart. Yeah. 
these are all postures where you might think, oh, I'm so isolated, I'm alone, nobody loves me. When you, but when you stop and think, okay, the invitation of Christ is that we're welcomed into the family of God, that he actually is our friend, our brother, our king, our Lord. He is our Abba Father. We're not alone. Then suddenly you realize, oh, I can stop acting as if I am all alone in this world and I have nobody, that I'm actually invited into the very relationship that mm. Christ came to give. I love that. And, and, and your book brings all of this out in, in such beautiful detail. Uh, how about from lacking to generous? Mm. Well, I think it's so easy to measure a bunch of things. Like this time of year, we're like, ooh, what's in the bank account? Well, do I have the best decorations? Like we measure in all sorts of ways. Mm. And usually, I mean, I, I'm just being honest, but sometimes you just think that you're lacking and that you don't have what it takes to be hospitable or to give the gifts that you want, or you just somehow think, I really need all new decorations and I can't afford them this year, whatever it is that's going through our minds. But the reality is we've been given so much abundance. See, there's a, there's a, earthly way to think of the things and there's an earthly posture and then there's a spiritual posture that changes everything and the spiritual posture is ultimately wow we have so much abundance because in Christ it doesn't it's not even about the stuff anymore it's that we have an overflow of God's love that we can generously give and I'm not just saying that to be like Christiany about it it's the truth that we actually have abundance so yeah. much more than we realize we even have and that makes us really, really rich in blessings, which is what the word says, that we have this rich inheritance. We have, we're rich in blessings and that has nothing to do with our bank accounts at all. I love this one, from worried to worshipful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, the first thing that comes to mind is Mary and Martha, right? I mean, to, during the holiday season, it's so easy to be like, I'm so worried about how everything's going to come together. What if these family members don't get along? What if the, the meal doesn't turn out right? What if, what if, what if? And we start worrying about things. And I have never known a better way to attack worry than to turn my heart to worship. If I just start thinking, who is worthy here? Am I the worthy one yeah. or is God worthy? When I start thinking, oh, I don't even deserve Jesus, but he chose to make and dwell with me and to rescue me, then suddenly I am like in a praise mode, whether that's playing praise music or just praising him or just having a heart that's like, okay, wow, I, I got to chill out with my worry. And then suddenly it's replaced with worship. And mm. that's always been a really helpful way for me to combat worry. And maybe the best one is from jealous <laughs> to joyful. Oh, that's a hard one, right? It's so, comparison is just like a uh, national pastime these days. Like we're just always comparing. And, you know, we don't walk around talking about feeling like we're coveting something that somebody else has or we're jealous. No one admits that. But truly inside there's this envy that happens, sometimes wishing that our children were as obedient as somebody else's children, or our homes look like somebody else's homes, or that we just had it easier like somebody else. And um, at the end of the day, that posture will rob us of all the joys of the season. And it's not so much about just saying, I gotta quit feeling that way. I gotta stop being jealous. It's to replace it. To replace it's to it. replace it with what is true. And put so off that's, what's bad. Exactly. And, put on and, what's right. and that's just a biblical model, right? Paul does that. I mean, I always say in every one of Paul's letters, he always says, let's start with who God is. Let's remember the promises of God, what he's already accomplished. And then he moves on to putting off and putting on. And when he 
says that, then that carries so much weight. You realize, oh, I'm not doing this by myself. I'm not just saying, I got to stop being jealous. But you say, because of Christ, because of what he's done. Yeah. So that's why the book also follows that rhythm of saying, hey, I got to look at what's going on in my heart, my posture. And then I'm going to look at the promises of God. And now I can walk in obedience to him. I love that. If I could paint a picture of friends coming over to the house and, uh, oh, you have such a nice house. This is a beautiful, you know, and uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. And they're putting the cookies down. And these are maybe new people that you've met um, or people that you've known for a while, but you you haven't really shared much depth about your faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are some ways that 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 we could get into a conversation with people to demonstrate to them that the baby in the manger the real story of Christmas mm. actually adds to the joy of the season yeah. rather than replacing the joy of the season. Right. Well, I think just like with any meal, you set the table, right? There's there's an invitation that happens when we set the table. And I think every conversation, Kirk, really is an opportunity where we don't just get to the punchline. Oh, you need a savior. Okay, you need a savior. Just welcome that idea. No, let's set the table. Why do we need a savior? And usually that begins with conversations like, tell me about this year? Has it been a good year or has it been a hard year? What are you going through right now that is stressful in your life? And when we are talking to especially non-believers who Mm. may not realize that the invitation of Christmas is the actual invitation to lay down your burdens and to stop carrying all the brokenness by yourself. And I think we can be those who begin and set the table for the gospel to be fragrant and satisfying, but we don't start with the main course. We start by saying, hey, let's talk about how I, I have wrestled with needing a savior because I can't save myself. I, I'm pretty much stuck if I don't look to God. And that is a conversation that happens mm. as we talk about our need for him. How about ideas that uh, we could implement that would help us with our kids? Yeah. What if we haven't been so Advent-focused and it's much more about the decorations and the traditions? Are there some things that we're already doing in our house, like with our Christmas tree and our decorations, uh, that we could sort of have an Advent takeover of yeah. to help with our kids? Well, I think, first of all, uh, on the note of expectations, we need to stop thinking that everybody needs to sit perfectly still. With their, if you're a parent of littles, you know, don't think that it has to look perfect. Care about the moment where you can like connect with somebody. And so we sometimes um, just ask questions of one another. Maybe that means that you have question cards right at the table. Mm. And so that you actually like literally begin conversations with question cards. And maybe it's that you say, hey, we're going to have a a little coffee date, a hot chocolate date by the fire. And you take turns with a person in your family and say, hey, meet me at 630. We're going to have a hot chocolate date. And I think sometimes just determining to do these little things and maybe you send that little invitation in an actual little card or a text earlier in the day and say, hey, meet me at 6.30. We're going to have a little fireside chat. Um, It might sound a little cheesy, but I don't think anybody would turn down a fireside chat with hot chocolate and an opportunity to connect. And I think we underestimate how important conversations truly Mm. are. Right? That's a great I mean, idea. The, the reality is we might try to form these like special events and create all these special activities when really it's human connection. It's actually sitting and yeah. looking somebody in the eye and saying, what you are going through matters. I want to hear what you're going through. And I want to tell you how that Jesus, the Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, matters right now in what we're going through. And that conversation needs to happen day by day. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. 
If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.